There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Welcome to more monochromatic goodness in this week's episode of Monochrome. This week, a priest, a minister, and a rabbi walk into a bar. Except the bar is a lighthouse, and it's really a lighthouse keeper, a pasty ex-lumberjack, and a vindictive seagull, sort of. Yes, it's 2019's The Lighthouse, and believe me, the only lightness you'll find here is in the title. <laughs> this movie is proof positive that Willem Dafoe doesn't need a Green Goblin mask to be disturbing, and that Robert Pattinson can actually act, even if his accent is a little bit dodgy. Oh, we'll be getting to that. Yeah, Dafoe's accent? Well, let's just say it wouldn't be out of place on Treasure Island trying to get Jim Ladd to give him the treasure map. Arr! You're skipping ahead. <laughs> I be your nautical host, Redbeard Levine, scourge of at least two of the seven seas, and ori yonder by the mizzenmast, be your host, that most pinafored of captains, Mike Poop Deck Loose. Give us an R, Poop Deck. This is a mizzen. <laughs> That's. <laughs> oh, but I'm you can't R. miss it. R. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Q-R. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get to that, we must go through the poll question. Poll question. Last week's poll question was, who is your favorite movie slash cinematic slash screen detective? Mm. Dave. 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 Writes to us, no question, Marlowe. Humphrey Bogart in The Big Sleep. Mm. I also liked Elliot Gould in The Long Goodbye. That is good. A very different take on him. Mm. This is an odd one because I basically have no Japanese detectives to recommend, which is kind of what I was hoping for. <laughs> he does say, uh, Akechi Kogura is the standout Japanese detectives, but the movies have not been great. Campy and aesthetically interesting, but not my favorites. Tyler Stewart writes, Actually, Benoit LeBlanc in Knives Out really delighted me. His donut hole speech was, in hindsight, really impressive. <laughs> Charles Forsyth says, Weasel, or is it Weasley? It, it's Weasel. Weasel. His wife's name is and Weasel. I, sure. It's a different and Weasel would, than my Weasel. It's, well, he's not my Weasel, but it's, she's Weasel and he's the Weasel. So, yeah. I forgot what I was talking about. Now, so we, we, Weasel and I were discussing Detective Pikachu. Ah, see? You <laughs> laughed at me when I brought up Detective Pikachu and over I still breakfast. Do. And that's the only detective movie I can think of. No, wait, Daryl Zero. Mm, I don't know, don't know who that is. Huh. Hmm. Adam Marks, Angela Lansbury as Miss Marple from The Mirror Cracked in 1980. Ah, the classics. Hmm. He also, of course, mentions Hercule Poirot, Peter Ustinov, Murder on the Nile, the 1978, Don't Mess with the Greats. Dan Schaefer says, Nick Charles, man <laughs> knows how to mix a drink and <laughs> swallow a drink many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> How dry I am. <laughs> Kelly J. Cooper writes, There are so many, I don't think I could pick just one. Hmm. I'm trying to think of the first one I remember, but the movies are tangled up in my head with books and cartoons, Scooby-Doo, and TV <laughs> to show detectives. <laughs> yep, Scooby-Doo Scooby was we, my put favorite. put this to rest right now. Scooby-Doo is not a detective. No, he isn't. No, that's, that's Velma. She's the detective. To, yeah. For nostalgia reasons, maybe Harry Lovecraft from Cast a Deadly Spell, 1991, or Albert Finney as Hercule Poirot in the 1974 version of Murder on the Orient Express. No, wait, Sherlock Holmes for the movie Young Sherlock Holmes, 86. No, I've got it. Eddie Valiant from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> All good choices. Sure. Um, Val Coons, who are... In advanced detective work tells us is related to Mike. Just read the name. Philip Marlowe from the Maltese Falcon... Oops. Um, oops. <laughs> to the big sleep, to murder my sweet, nobody beats him. I think she uh, may have had I, a big sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was uh, Spade was in the Maltese Falcon, although it is Marlowe in the other two. Yes. Uh, and I'm equally happy with either Bogart or Dick Powell playing him. If you've never seen Murder My Sweet, do yourself a favor and give it a watch. Powell is the quintessential private eye in that film. Hmm. Another one that's pretty out there, but mostly fun, is Steve Martin as R Rigby Reardon in Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. <laughs> There's some over-the-top misogyny in it that's cringy, but otherwise, it's a great parody. That one is a remarkable... If you consider this was done before Forrest Gump or Zelig, it's really something to watch. Hmm. 
Matthew Reisman says, Basil Rathbone's Sherlock Holmes. Mm. Uh, I'm also quite fond of Benoit Blanc. We got another one for him. That being said, Ace Ventura and Eddie Valiant are honorable mentions. <laughs> really? <laughs> Ace Ventura? Ventura? Well, okay. it's in the title. I guess we yeah, have to count yeah. him. Uh, Regan McStravick says, Aurelio Zen. Also, Sam Deeds. I guess I mm. like my detective characters understated and obscure, apparently. Well, obscure to us, anyway. Yeah. Brian Mundo brings in, of course, Inspector Gadget. <laughs> Although, <laughs> of course you know, he I, did. I was going to say that's not a big screen one, but yes, it is. There have been yes, two Inspector is. Gadget movies, sort of. And one of them had Matthew Broderick in them. Yep. yep. From, from the frozen north, Vince, Ooh. or Snowy, says, My favorite detective is always Sherlock Holmes. While I don't really think the Basil Rathbone films hold up, I loved them as a kid, and I think the Robert Downey films are fun and used aspects of the character. <laughs> Uh, that earlier Americanisms. <laughs> ignored while keeping it entertaining. I love Orson Welles in Touch of Evil, a black and white classic, hint, hint. Ooh. Even though he is basically a terrible detective that plants evidence against people he seems to feel are guilty because of their race. Ouch. Oh, so well, it's realistic. Good thing, oh, yeah, good thing that never happens anymore. <clears throat> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, our, and Cheese Boy, a.k.a. Ned, brings up an interesting one that will lead into our next poll question. Dex Dog Detective from Food Fight is a classic. He is not. Please don't watch that movie or do. It's your it's your podcast. My actual vote would be for Hercule Poirot with Albert Finney and Kenneth Branagh tied for my favorite movie portrayals. Interesting. Nobody. He's the first to bring in Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Uh, if you're willing to stretch your definition of a detective to include more action-oriented titles, Rick Deckard would be in the running as well. Come to think of it, Blade Runner is almost an honorary black and white movie. He's not wrong. It's certainly got some film noir characteristics. It's very film noir. I, I don't know that I would want it in black and white. Yeah. Seriously, though, if you want to make a series on movies for children that absolutely should not be watched by children you care about, I think Food Fight may top the list. What about you, Mike? Who's, who's your favorite cinematic detective? Well, I was surprised that so many versions of Poirot popped up except the one that has done it the most, as far as I know, which oh, is David Suchet. And to be fair, I think there was, well, there was, there was one film version of Murder on the Orient Express because Hollywood hasn't finished making that. Uh, see our entire episode on Murder on the Orient Express. I, of all the Poirots, he's my favorite. I don't know if he's my favorite cinematic detective. I actually really like Joan Hickson's Miss Marple, although she doesn't have a movie. The thing that's really funny about Miss Marple is if you watch it, is she's incredibly unaffect ineffective because she figures things out after like three or four people have been murdered. So it's like, <laughs> oh yes, I knew it all along. Why didn't you help these people? Um, yeah, that's fair. Of course, you know, and it was. If uh, Angela Lansbury played her at one point, probably. She was just carrying on the Miss Marple serial killer tradition. Yeah. Well, of course, she did that murder she caused. Oops. Again, there's a spoiler. <laughs> as far as detectives go for cinematic, I mean, I probably would go with, yeah, I guess Poirot. It's, I'm not a big detective. I do like Benoit Blanc, but I haven't, and I just rewatched Knives Out, which <laughs> I do like and do recommend. I don't feel we got enough of him in a way in that film which of course is good because there's going to yeah. be another one and i also just i do adore watching someone i thought i knew as an actor prove me utterly wrong because if you watch daniel craig in that film he is unlike every daniel craig you've seen in any other film and his accent is really charming and it's like if he didn't melt underwear in that film i don't know what <laughs> film he melted underwear yeah in. yeah how about you, Max? It was your question. No, it wasn't. It was mine. Uh, yeah. One of these days I will get that right. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple. I mean, honestly, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. I just, I like so many of the portrayals. I mean, some of them I can't bring in because they were TV versions. Well, My favorite yeah. detective is always Columbo, but he's just oh. he's TV only. Yeah. A, but uh, the other one I always like, and he's only in, I think, one movie, is Moses Wine in a movie oh. called The Big Fix. It was played by Richard Dreyfuss. Oh. He's like a former 60s radical. And there's, he's a just a, very much an everyday sort of schlub who, fall, who falls into being a detective. And I just, there's a wonderful running gag through the whole movie. His, one of his arms is in a cast from the elbow to the wrist. And whenever anyone asks what happened to his arm, he always tells them whatever he thinks will sort of be most appropriate to them. Like uh, 
these old radicals are what happened to your army? He said, oh, there were some cops hassling a black kid. That's it, not important. Or another point, oh, you know, this, this woman was having some trouble with a couple of bikers. I don't want to talk. And at the end, it turns out he fell off his kid's skateboard. <laughs> yeah, who has Sorry for the that. spoiler, but I liked him. I do have a soft spot for Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. <laughs> Nigel yeah. Bruce. Talk about bumbling. Oh, and it's, bumbling upsets I, I comes felt, no end. I have always felt so bad for for the character of Dr. Watson because Nig- he is not a bumbler in the stories <laughs> and he's not a bumbler in most of the movies or the TV shows. It was Nigel Bruce made everyone think he was a bumbler. Oh, so simple a child could figure it out. Not your child, Watson, <laughs> which admittedly is one of the best lines. <laughs> oh, 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 hmm. I, I do like Cumberbatch, yeah. and um, I can't remember his name, the guy who played... Um, oh, Freeman, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman, yep. yep. I really like the dynamic of that show. I know a lot of people, a lot of the Sherlock Holmes purists don't care yeah. for that, but I, I really, really liked it. that show. Yep. Um, I did but not again, need to see Mycroft nude, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a bit much, but whatever. Yeah. Well, thank you again for your yep. answers. We love Great your answers. answers. We love them so much. We're going to ask for some more, aren't we, yep. Max? Yep, we never get enough. More, more, we're still not satisfied. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Lehrer. Yep, and uh, for next, for the next poll question, I'm actually, uh, this is totally my idea that <laughs> I came up with with no help at all from anyone named Ned. Now, we're actually, <laughs> Ned's idea... Ned's suggestion made me think of an interesting question that might even turn into possibly a series. What children's movie do you think should, under no circumstances, be shown to children you actually like? Or, by using this as a poll question, we have just dodged having to do it as a series. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're basically here, figure out, uh, give us some answers, what movie should we look at? Uh, And actually, if you do, maybe we will do it as a series, who knows? Yep, could happen. Uh, that sounds like torture, but sure. <laughs> On now to trivia. The facts. Budget, $11 million. Worldwide take, $18 million. Uh, Not really a surprise. No, uh, no. Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson both stated that they barely spoke a word to each other on set and were too exhausted to hang out together after a day of shooting because filming was so physically demanding due to the miserable weather conditions. Mm. While Pattinson stayed at a normal hotel with the rest of the crew during the shoot, Dafoe lived in a little fisherman's cottage in solitude. Of course he did. On set, on the other hand, Dafoe, sorry, Pattinson would tend to eat and stay by himself during the film breaks, while Defoe stayed with the crew. Both stated that they liked each other very well as soon as they had their first real conversation several months later. <laughs> okay. The scene where Defoe's character gives this incredibly elaborate sea curse to Robert Pattinson's character because he doesn't like his cooked lobster was shot in one take. And according to the director, Robert Eggers, Defoe doesn't blink for over two minutes. <laughs> I have no trouble believing that. Yeah. He learned he learned that from Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> <laughs> the dream sequence where uh, Wake, Defoe's character, stands naked, beaming light from his eyes into Winslow, Pattinson's character, is a reference to the painting Hypnosis by the German artist Sascha Schneider from 1904. Robert Pattinson's accent mm. is based on a very specific area of Maine farming dialect. Is it? That's what he claimed. While sure. Defoe's is the jargon of Atlantic fishermen and sailors of the time. Eggers was very precise about the actor's accents and line delivery. He would, for example, give instructions like, say the sentence of your third line 75% faster. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. 70, okay, hang on, let me set the dial on my mouth. Uh, hmm. Pattinson and Defoe's facial hair was all real. However, Pattinson had to dye his mustache dark because he's naturally dark blonde. Ah. Defoe's bad teeth were a prosthetic, Ah. which is a relief. Mm. The movie was shot on a little island in Nova Scotia, which we'll come back to. The cast and crew filmed under extreme weather conditions, freezing temperatures, cold Atlantic water, intense winds, snow, rain, and there's no protective flora on the terrain that that could protect them at all from the winds. 
three, count them, three north, nor'easters blew across Cape Fortune, which is technically where this was, during various stages of the production. A lot of the film is shot in real weather elements, so they didn't have to use rain or wind machines most of the time. And the director says the most crazy and dramatic stuff was shot for real. Wow. Unbelievable. They were actually, when, when uh, Pattinson is supposed to go into the uh, sea at night, they were really worried that he was going to get ripped off, tar- carried off by a riptide. Hmm. How did they keep their fake lighthouse up? <gasps> Oops. <laughs> the story is very loosely based on a real tragedy from 1801, which was called the Smalls Lighthouse Tragedy, in which two light- Welsh lighthouse keepers, both named Thomas, well, there's your problem, <laughs> became trapped on the lighthouse during a storm. When one man died, it's said to have driven the other mad. Mad, I tell you. Other influences, of course, are Herman Melville, Robert Louis Stevenson, and oddly enough, according to the director, some of the supernatural stuff from H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, as well yeah, as I can Algernon see that. Blackwood and Sarah Orne Jewett. Since the film is set in 1890, it was shot on 35mm black and white double X 5222 film, which I noticed is very different than the 52221 film. You did not. I, of course, not. I don't know if there is such a thing. Uh, well, all the while augmenting the Panavision Millennium camera with vintage, I don't know what these are, Baltar lenses. I assume these are the ones from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Just say that's the only Baltar I know. Yeah. John Colicos. Yeah, which these lenses were from as early as 1918 to as late as 1938. Hmm. This makes the aspect ratio about 1.19 to one. Yeah, which is practically square. Yeah, to, I, I wrote uh, filmed in Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to enhance the image and make it look like early photography, a custom cyan filter made by Schneider Filters emulated the look and feel of the orthochromatic film from the late 19th century. This filter blocks all the red wavelengths from hitting the film, so the reds appear black. Huh. Considering most pores and skin tones have red in them, the orthochromatic emulation allows the audience to see just about every imperfection and pore on the (laughs) actors' faces. And boy, you get a lot of opportunity for that. Yeah. Robert Pattinson had an unusual approach to psych himself up before emo- emotionally extreme scenes. The director said, quote, Sometimes he'd beat himself in the face so bad. Or when it was raining through the cottage roof, Rob was drinking the rainwater in between takes. Ugh. He also spun around in circles a lot. That was helpful for him. <laughs> or he'd stick his fingers down his throat to make himself gag and stuff like that. Particularly uh... in the scene where they're both really drunk and Defoe is lying on Pattinson's chest, he was, quote, sticking his fingers down his throat before the take. Willem gave me a look as if to say, if Rob effing pukes on me... (laughs) You're going to be haunted for three Christmases by Willem Defoe. (laughs) There were versions of this script that were, in the words of the director, too clear. (laughs) Egger's goal was to make the audience go mad and become confused like Winslow... So the uh, final script turned out being even more confusing for the audience. That's mean. <laughs> <laughs> the word wiki, which predates Wikipedia, thank you, and the Hawaiian word. Uh, well, actually, no, the Hawaiian word predates this, but the meaning they use, it comes from the 19th century slang term for a lighthouse keeper based on wick trimming. Ah. Yes. That's not sexual sounding. <laughs> no. It's like your wick trim. Uh, but, <laughs> We would like you to know no seagulls were harmed while filming the movie. The seagull scenes were filmed with a puppet, which was digitally replaced with real seagulls. The real birds were trained rescue seagulls named Lady, Tramp, and Johnny. They reshot the scenes with the real seagulls in front of a green screen in a studio in the UK because they couldn't fly the seagulls to Nova Scotia. The missing Uh, eye... hmm? Uh, Rescue... Seagulls? Yeah, rescue seagulls. I don't know why you would rescue one of those sea rats, but... Oh, I thought they were used in rescues. No, no, no. They, out <laughs> they have like little barrels of bourbon but, or something? I don't... <laughs> what's that, lady? A hunter's fallen down a well, broken his leg, and needs insulin? <laughs> uh, the missing eye was done in post-production. Other seagulls seen flying around the distance were living in that area and were always around while shooting. Which really annoyed the crew because the seagulls figured out pretty quickly that they were a source of food. (laughs) 
In the original I mean, script, Thomas Wake had a glass eye, a peg leg, and three missing fingers. Oh no! This was this was changed because Eggers felt the audience could misinterpret Wake as a pirate, and the effect also that would have been a little too difficult under their tight budget. Well, never mind the fact that Willem Dafoe, being the actor he is, might have gone out and lost three fingers. Yeah, and he might have actually chewed his own fingers <laughs> off, put his own eye out. Yeah. Well, at least he wouldn't have put a finger down his throat. So. Yeah, yeah. The residents of Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, which is where the fake lighthouse was built, liked it so much oh, no. that a bunch of them fought to keep and maintain the fake lighthouse while <laughs> film, when filming wrapped. But it was removed because of sa- safety issue because the thing's made out of wood. <laughs> it would have fallen over in a real storm. I'm amazed it didn't. Yeah. According to the director, the original script included a very juvenile shot of a lighthouse moving like an erect male member. And Excuse a me, short. I believe it was a particular male member. Oh, I don't have that one. It was what? meant to be Pattinson's. Oh, dear. <laughs> Uh, A24 and New Regency only agreed to Eggers filming on 35 black and millimeter, uh, 35 millimeter black and white negative if he removed all the scenes of full male frontal nudity. Uh, yeah, to avoid I mean, the NC-17 rating. Apparently, uh, as you know, full frontal female nudity, that's an R. Full frontal male nudity, that's an NC-17. Yeah. Because... Uh, because straight Dale guys can't Genital. deal with looking at dick. There yeah, you go, I've said pretty it. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except somehow in The Watchmen, that didn't get an NC-17. Yeah, well, that was a, I guess that was a CGI. That was a CGI, Willie. Um, <laughs> uh, the term is wang. <laughs> uh, excuse me. <laughs> or for uh, toads, if you wish. The, <laughs> the departing wikis at the beginning of the movie were just two of the crew members. And oh. uh, according to Eggers, the two lead characters represent figures in Greek mythology. Wake represents Proteus, an old prophetic sea god who is called the Old Man of the Sea, and Winslow represents Prometheus, a titan and sort of trickster figure who defies the god, but gods by bringing fire to men. The Pattinson's final fate makes that one pretty damn hit you over the head obvious, but we'll get to that. Yeah. There's a ton of other stuff. There was a lot going on behind the scenes in this, but uh, I think that covers a lot of it. Yeah, do, by the all means, tell us the story, because okay. um, dying to hear. I'm betting this one's going to be one of your shorter, uh, what do you call it? You'd be surprised. Recaps. Excuse me, I need a bolt of rum. <laughs> you don't have any rum. And if you did, you, you don't have to know that. to me. <laughs> I know everything. <sighs> Welcome to the gregarious, lighthearted world of lighthouse keeping. Our story takes place pretty much entirely on a tiny, unbelievably grim island with a lighthouse, kept by Thomas Wake and his new, pale, surly assistant, (laughs) Ephraim Winslow, a former lumberjack who is not okay, does not sleep all night and work all day. (laughs) Ephraim, if that really is his name, spoiler, it isn't, has to deal with his rather bizarre lighthouse superior who refuses to let him near the actual light in the house. He also must contend with back-breaking manual labor, weird visions of mermaids, and an angry one-eyed seagull. Trapped without relief by a terrible storm, the two men descend into a strange world of hidden guilt, hallucinations, alcohol-powered dancing and screaming, <laughs> overfilled chamber pots, <laughs> and finally into madness, although one of them descends a bit deeper than the other. Mm. How much of this is real? And how many masturbation scenes does one movie need? <laughs> Let's find out! <laughs> The film. Wow. So, um, I actually had not heard of this film. How did you hear of it? It was it was mentioned during the Oscars in 2020. Ah, it, because it was it was up for it was I didn't mention in the trivia. It was up for one Oscar for best uh, cinematography, and it didn't win. No, it did not. I, usually, we start with acting, but let's go here. Yeah. The cinematography is astounding. Yeah, it's an amazing use of black and white, and uh, it just the camera work is amazing. Every shot, and there's, there's been films that have been done like this. I think Aronofsky was one of the people who tried to do this and, I guess, succeeded. Was And I think The Cell was actually considered another one where every shot is a photograph. Yeah. And that's this film. It, I don't think I've ever seen... 
and of course it's it's a very stark subject but i don't mm. think i have ever seen black and white photography this deep and rich and and i hate to say photographic because it doesn't sound like it makes any sense but so artistic and i love the photography in third man and i i will still say that that is great cinematography oh yeah but Dear gods, this film looks amazing. Yep, visually this film is stunning. Although it's square, which It is very square, which is off-putting. Well, I got it. Like I know why they did it. I just was like, I wonder how this went over. Although the weird thing is, I don't know if this happened to you. For I stopped after a few minutes I I just stopped thinking about it. it. Didn't bother me. But at the very end I actually had to rewind the last shot of the film I swore was in widescreen and it wasn't. No. But I it just I, I was like was that widescreen and I you know went back and it's like no it was the same square. So it's one of those contrivances that it's make, meant to make you feel more in the time period. Uh-huh. I think works. I think so. I think a lot of times when they do that sort of you know, kitschy thing that that gimmicky kind of stuff. It really it stands, stands out. out. Yeah. And here, I don't know that I need to see more than what we see because what we see is just fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it the the blacks are so deep and rich. The grays are so depressing. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. This movie doesn't do as much. The third man I thought does a lot with shadow and sort of shades of gray. This yeah. is very stark. Mm. There's light, and then there's absolute black. Yeah. And then and there, you can see movement in it. It's much more, you know, in some ways, violently extreme. Mm. Well, I'm sure that that was done on purpose, yeah. right? Because there's a lot of... Well, that's the interesting thing, is that there seems to be a very one side and the other to this film, and then partway through you're like oh wait a minute maybe it's not like we think it is yeah and it's one of the questions the director wants us to ask many many questions the director. this is real yeah I, uh, I always one of the first things i noticed there is no dialogue in this movie for almost the first nine minutes no although yeah. i was confused at first as to who the two extra people were because uh, at I first you're would... not sure what's going on yeah, but it's and, the uh, departing shift. Apparently, they're, they're supposed to be there for four weeks at a time. Which you think, oh, that's no big deal. And you're like, that's probably twice as long as it should be. <laughs> that's that's a long, yeah, being stuck in a place with Willem Dafoe for a month. Yikes! <laughs> and that's the thing. It's not necessarily the tasks involved, although they are daunting. They, and i got to say, didn't somebody at some point decide, you know, maybe we should move the coal a little closer? <laughs> <laughs> I wondered about that. It's like, all right, is it a fire hazard? Is that it? I mean, they're worried it, about the oil, but coal doesn't usually burst into flame on its own. So No, no. And I want to say, too, that basically any of these tasks was set up to be as most inconvenient as possible. Yeah. Everything is far away from everything else. And, you know, the, the bit with the chamber pots, it's like... There are castles that have, and this would have been gross, but it would have made more sense. There are castles that have privies in them where it's literally like that little part of the room is hanging out over the tower and there's yeah. a hole, but you don't have to empty anything. And no. let's face it, the island is getting washed clean every day by yeah. some storm. So it's like, eh. but it, and it's odd because you can tell when he dumps the pots, he's dumping them in the same place that he always does because you can see right. the rocks are stained. Right, but it's yeah. also, also like... Did we need to see this? <laughs> I, uh, no, but I understand why it's there. The first When he first pulls the pot out, I didn't realize what he was looking at. I realized when he was halfway to the to the rock. Because, uh, of course, again, he can't just dump it anywhere. He has to go out onto this, uh, this, this jetty, promontory. Basically. Yeah. yeah. And, and dump it there. Like, this is the official dumping rock. <laughs> and halfway to him getting there, I'm like, oh, I know what the lumps were. Okay. Yeah. No, no, I knew right away. I recognized the design of the pot. 19th century chamber pots had a very distinctive look. Well, and to be fair, they Because you didn't want to mix them, them up with something else. <laughs> they do show them using them. Thank you. Yeah, really yeah, I didn't need that film. either. Man. Um, yeah, it's, it's an uncomfortable film let's yeah. just get that right out of the way yeah, this film is very uncomfortable this is not a pleasant movie to watch this is not an easy movie to watch no no and but even uh, the sound the damn foghorn oh i was like five minutes in i'm like oh this is gonna get old 
<laughs> does it too? Because it was a it was a real one. They actually researched the types of sounds. There, there was a, there was a whole thing on it. I, I yeah. left it out because it's it's kind of lengthy and not terribly interesting. But mm. yeah. natural foghorn, the FAQ three two twenty five, was known to be used in Newfoundland from blah 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 blah. Well, it's a sounder with compressed air. It is period ah. accurate. At ah. least the sound that the sound was, yeah. I would like to offer one more ah. Ah, I Thank think you, you mean ah. Of <laughs> Speaking of that, as we often start with the show, let's talk about the acting. Won't take long. There's only two people in this yeah. film. Yeah. Well, technically, technically there's, there's five. Who's the fifth one? The mermaid. That's what I'm counting her. The her, two guys the who leave. Guy. Oh, then there's six. No, that's true. With the blonde, yeah, six. The blonde guy who... Stands there with his mouth open for two seconds. Yeah, Let's ignore mo- those two people. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, yeah. It's it's uh it's actually Tom. That's a, Tom. that's actually Ephraim uh, Win- Winslow. Yeah, we'll get to that. So yeah. we have two actors ostensibly in this film carrying yeah. this entire film, this entire heavy, <laughs> weighty film on yeah. their shoulders. We're, let's start with Willem because he's bony, older. bony shoulders. <laughs> let's start with Willem. But Willem Dafoe. If you get if you you get Willem Dafoe in your movie. You know this is not going to be a light-hearted romp. Even if I don't the know if he, light is in the title. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he does light-hearted. Or, he does a lot well, of over-the-top. He does wild stuff, but... Well, my, my question was, is Defoe ever not creepy or frightening? And to the best of my knowledge, the answer is no. I heard it... Oh, what is it? <laughs> the Landlord? No, <laughs> there was never, a rumor. <laughs> no, there was a movie... Oh, was it Flor- something Florida? He was up for an Oscar for it. He's supposed to be much more likable in it. I have not seen any where he isn't at least intimidating and disturbing. Now, here's the thing. He still has charisma because charisma can encompass a lot of different aspects. And I got to say, his character is very charismatic. You are watching him most of the time. And to be fair, this is in character. It's not that Pattinson isn't necessarily doing as good a job. It's that his character initially is more interesting and... And that's interesting is that broad sense of the term. Oh, he's got some stories to tell, as well as, oh, he's got some stories to tell. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of stories. Yeah. I, this is, I'm going to say, because we now know, thanks to your trivia uh, research, that this is a fault of the director. I have to say, his accent, as well done as it is, is distracting. It kind of is, because he sounds like Long John Silver. I'm sorry. He does. Yeah, it just does. maybe not- that's accurate. I don't know, but for a a, a 21st century audience, it's it, you keep going, huh? Really? Is he really talking? Do people talk like that? He's eh. a pirate. Let's it face it, he's a pirate. <laughs> yeah, and he's also his a lot of his language is very melodramatic. I mean, mm. that whole thing whenever he toasts, which he insists on doing every night, there should pale death with treble dread. Is basically a sur- sort of version of now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> if I should die, <laughs> wishes you can keep. I, I will count electric <laughs> sheep. sheep how I, how hate, I the hate the night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or as George Carlin points out, he has a poem. If I should die before I wake, <laughs> I ain't going to sleep. Um, now I lay me down to bed. Darkness won't engulf my head. My head I, I can, can see, see by infrared. <laughs> yeah. It was Marvin the Paranoid Android's uh, poem, but yeah, that's. It, that's back, actually that's a real thing. It's from uh, Poems for the Sea by Lydia Sigourney, and it's called The Hymn at Parting. <laughs> yeah, parting. Yeah. Isn't that that word is underlined and capitalized? I, mm. I'm not going to ask the usual question was whether we think Defoe does a good job. I'm going to ask the question whether it was true or not. Is this an Oscar-worthy performance? I'm going to say it is. I think, I think regardless so. of the accent, yeah. he is so believable as this character I there's never a moment I have any idea what he's going to do, what he's going to say, and I utterly believe he is this character. Yeah, and I and to me the tribute to any characters, I wanted to know more about him. He throws up do a little you? thing. Yes, I wanted to know. Does he actually have <laughs> a wife who left him? Did he have children? Oh God, that's a frightening thought. Um, yeah. What? How? How did he really lose his leg? Because he gives us like a couple of different stories. Yeah. Well, I, he, you tend to wonder if this isn't, in fact, somebody who had a much less interesting life than we think they did. But after all these years of, you know, maybe 
the the accident was such that he got made fun of that he decided to just make stuff up it may, to appear now he, or and to it give may, him power. Yeah, and it may also be that he's told the story for so long he believes it now. And we've well, this is something I, I had in one of my notes. So we brought this up, and this came up, I think, in gaslighting. And there's a term I'm going to be using later on. Yeah. There's as much backstory to these characters as story that we see. And that's yeah. as important as what we see. And I don't know what they necessarily, as Max just pointed out, it, there's multiple versions of Thomas Wake's background. But we know it's somehow we know it's there. It's in their performance that we know that there is history. And especially Willem Dafoe gives us this. How about uh, Pat? How about Batman? I'm, I'm going to be nice and not even call him Edward. I'm going to call well, him Batman. What about what about Batman? Uh, I think Batman. he does a pretty. I think he does a pretty good job. The accent, I don't know. And again, uh, I can was, blame the director. Yeah. Well, also, I was. I kept thinking he was doing an, uh, like uh, Hudson Valley, New York accent, not a Maine accent. Well, let's face it. He sounds like yet another British actor who yeah. doesn't know what an American accent sounds like. And again. Yeah. If Eggers wanted it to be super, super realistic, it works against his performance in this case, because I'm willing to bet Pat actually Pattinson's American accent in Batman is fine. He's very good, yeah. So, so I, I, I'm not sure. Other than that, I think he does a really good job. He has too. an incredible intensity about him. That well, is, we're waiting it, for him to snap. Oh, yeah. This guy, <laughs> he's like, you know. He, he, his mind state is sort of he's right there yeah he's just about to pop go the weasel and of course initially we don't know why but it's obvious that he's having to deal with this hazing as it were and it's obviously yeah. this is something that Thomas Wake uh, let's just do Defoe and Pattinson because yeah, as it turns yeah. out the characters names are the same and that's really yeah, obnoxious. They're both Thomas. Yeah, it turns out Ephraim Winslow his real name is Thomas Howard because there's backstory. Father the father of Rance, but uh well and especially to you know here that backstory we can tell something's not right with Winslow. Yeah. And he's here on purpose. Like he's he took this job not part not just because he's having trouble getting other work, but I think he actually is trying to to serve penance. We just don't uh, know why. Interesting. I, I thought that's it was my just, feeling. Was, I figured he was trying to get a job that was as isolated as possible. And uh, you're not going to get more isolated than a lighthouse keeper. Probably. Well, but, unless you can find something where you're alone. Yeah. <laughs> which would have been better. <laughs> I, but there's obviously backstory. His we actually get to see part of when he finally yeah. breaks down and admits that he was a, a lumberjack, a logger. And he, through inaction, allowed one of his co-workers to die. Yeah, the original and, uh, Ephraim Winslow, apparently. And, and he, he took, took his, his name. Yeah, he took his name. A, he took her jube! <laughs> and, and he left and has been basically pretending that didn't happen ever since to various levels of success. Yeah, and, and clearly it's been slowly driving him crazy, the suppressed guilt but he's well, also, he's one of those people who clearly, and I mean, Defoe calls him on this. Mm -hmm. He's He really thinks he deserves better than he's got. Not because he's worked at it or because of anything. It's just the world owes him, he feels. Right. And we don't know why, but again, that could be part of that backstory. Maybe he comes from a wealthier background. Maybe the lumberjack job, maybe it was a family business. Who knows? We don't know. Yeah. But... The question's there, and I at least I felt there was an answer. I'm not sure that even the director knows, or the screenwriter knows what it is, but the portrayals give you the idea that the, at least the actors have an answer in their own heads. My character acts this way because X. And that's a depth of performance we don't often see. I, I also like, there's some stuff in there about like classical literature and mythology, like when Pattinson uh, is... Uh, beginning his fight with the gull. Mm. And Defoe says, don't ever, you can't hurt them. Don't ever kill a seagull. It's a terrible thing to do because they are the souls of sailors who died at sea, which is a real old sailor's legend that gulls and dolphins are the souls of drowned sailors. It also kind of harks back to the rhyme of the ancient mariner and the whole bad luck of killing the albatross. Well, here's the problem, though. Um, the person that this one-eyed gull, and the one-eyed gull is a pest. Oh, yeah. my word, is this thing a pest? Yep. Doesn't represent a sailor, or at least somebody who didn't die at sea. 
uh, near the sea is not the same as yeah. dying at sea. Yeah, because at one point Pattinson may or may not. This is one of the things we don't know if it's real. Yeah. He pulls up a lobster trap, and in it is the severed head, missing an eye, of what Pattinson believes to be Defoe's former lighthouse assistant, who supposedly went mad. Yeah, except that we it must have been a much earlier one because we see the previous one leaving. Yeah, well, no, no, those weren't his. That wasn't his assistant. The people we see leaving are the other lighthouse keeper and his assistant. We never see oh. Defoe's assistant, or oh. do we? And again, we're not sure if Pattinson... At this point, we learn to distrust what Pattinson is seeing, because I believe this happens uh, after after, after he, run, he finds out on the rocks a mermaid. Well, so that's why I have some talking questions. This is one of them. Yeah. Because there's the symbology in this film... Um, all right, I'm going to say it. I, it's going to come up sooner or later. Tentacle hentai. There, I said it. I'm happy I said it. Uh, there is one scene, and there's more than one, uh, of masturbation where there's suddenly tentacles. Yeah. And, of course, that's all I could think of was tentacle hentai. If you don't know what tentacle hentai is, do don't, not look it up. Don't look it up, really. You'll be happy don't. you didn't. Yeah. In the context of this film, because there's weird stuff going on on both sides, is the mermaid meant to be real? And by real, I mean in the context of this film. No, I don't think no, there are mermaids. I, no, I don't think so. I think it's a hallucination. Then what does she represent? Frustrated desire. I mean, mermaid. the symbology of mermaids is pretty complex. There's a lot to it. It's usually... It, it, honestly, there's a certain amount of uh, misogyny about the image of the mermaid because the, <laughs> the whole idea with the mermaid is she is a lie. From the waist up, she's a beautiful woman. But the waist down, the part you really sort of want to get into, is, is a fish. <laughs> Subtle. Yeah, yeah. I just, I th as with a lot of things in this film, I wasn't sure if it was meant to be a symbol of something or there was meant to be some sort of level of deeply hidden, I don't want to use the word magic, but I can't think of a better word at this particular point in time. And the reason I say that is it seems pretty obvious that Thomas Wake or or Willem Dafoe's character is going through some sort of ritual. Yeah. He is literally the keeper of the light and keeps Pattinson's character away from it. Even if it's he means the, can we mean the actual a, light of the lighthouse, the massive bulb and lens. Well, and he can look up through a grate in the yeah. floor and see the light and it is just a light. There's nothing it, that the, the actual light is falling on him to some extent through the grate, but apparently being up next to it is a big thing. But Defoe's character is stripping naked every night and standing yeah. in front of it, bathing in the light of what? I don't know. Don't but know. He, he deems it just for him, for whatever reasons. And if our discussion at any point sounds crazy... Watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of that sequence where the first time they get drunk? Well, does it ever end? That's true. <laughs> they start drinking and they don't really stop because well, their Patton food's has, running Pattinson has been saying no to booze the yeah. entire time. Like, he just won't drink, he won't drink, he won't drink. Because it's against regulations, he says. Yeah, I don't think that's why. Yeah, I think he's afraid. He knows what will happen if he gets some drink in him, he starts confessing. And he does. Yes, he does. What... I'm not sure if I had any particular thought, except this is going somewhere you really don't want to go. What did you think? I thought it was very strange, and that at, for the first time you see um, Pattinson's character open up and be, for at, at times, you know, jovial. You know, for a while, he goes through all the stages of being drunk. You know, he gets the jokos where they're dancing. I did. It got me at one point. They're slow dancing. And there is a moment where they're about to make out, mm. and then immediately they go into a fight. Yeah, and all right, I'm thinking of, yeah, you're no, no homo, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, much. no, we have to punch each other, and they're both in complete agreement about yes, we must punch each other now. <laughs> Quick, put a game on. <laughs> exactly. Come on, where's football? Monster trucks, beer. Here, this was a question I saw pop up. And I did, I did a little research. Usually I let Max do that for his, when he's uh, leading the show. And there was a, the question of, are they meant to be portrayed in any way as gay? The director said, I'm not answering that question. 
basically. I'm going to leave that up to the audience. I honestly think it's the same reason you hear about this in situations like prison. It's you're just you want somebody, and the their only person is Robert Pattinson. Yeah, which quite honestly, you could choose a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, but his option is Willem I could make Dafoe. it with Batman or not. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he's got a pretty mouth. <laughs> Cape Crusader or my right hand? Hmm, sorry, oh. Jen, uh, folks, that's a bit much, but trust me, so is the movie. I, I, yeah. don't, I don't uh, think so. You see, it's funny, I didn't so much see it. There, there, uh, there certainly was a certain amount of, there's a little eroticism, but I thought more of it as the father and son. Because the way they're standing, Pattinson is like a head taller than Defoe. So but when that's how it is in their family. <laughs> when Def when they're dancing, Hanson has his his head on Defoe's chest, mm. which means he's got to sort of be bending over. But it's like he wants the comfort, he wants the closeness. Mm. Yeah. He's at one point when he's having his freak out, he's screaming at Defoe and saying, "You know, you're you're not my boss, you're not my father." Yeah, which is probably what he yeah. wants. Yeah. It, this is where you can have something that's homoerotic and still not be gay, which yeah. a lot of people don't understand. And the yeah. really sad part about this is, no, I did not want to see them have sex. I, it was not necessary. I didn't even need to see them kissed. I didn't even really want them to. But the sad thing is, is that in a lot of societies, they people can't make that delineation between love and sex and so two guys showing affection for each other immediately becomes yeah. a threat to masculinity. And it's that's a big sad. part of toxic masculinity is yeah. that men cannot show physical affection for each other. There are some cultures where you can. You can. I'm saying this is, most, this is very American. Yes. And, and I, I, I was watching a little video on, this is vaguely related, on YouTube. And it's this is Japanese guy talking about living in Japan. And he has an American-Japanese show up and he talks about the bathhouse and he's like oh yeah you go with the bathhouse with all your buddies it's like wait yeah. what do you get naked oh yeah what and of course the american japanese is like you do what and he's <laughs> like yeah we all get that's just like you show your vulnerability that's what you do and you know of course the americans are like oh heck no can i wear a raincoat and it's <laughs> that's we don't get it there's other cultures that can guys can just be guys and even show affection for each other even if they're naked in a tub and it ain't gay and even if it was that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing but this film i think is just trying to portray what happens when you're stuck on a rock with willem dafoe and there's nobody <laughs> else around and you're lonely yeah, and, and the only thing that Batman. pattinson has is his fictional mermaid and this little carved mermaid statuette that he that we see him wank off to yeah and of course his treatment of the at first th i thought she was dead but know. the unconscious mermaid is it's amazing how you can be misogynistic in a movie yeah. where there's basically no women in it but they yeah. are yeah they manage yeah she was disturbing that's the other the mm -hmm. one of the only other actors uh, in that movie valeria karaman i say Ia because it's there are two eyes in her name Mm. Well, she has uh, one line. If I remember correctly, her line is. I think your accent was wrong, but yes. Oh, damn. Oh, I should have done that 75% faster. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> I, I think the perform. I mean, this is a. Well, she doesn't have anything to do. But yeah. this is a character film. Yeah. Let's face it. it. There is a story, but it's really more about finding out who these two people are. Interestingly, I think this would actually work as a play. Yeah, it would be I think difficult so. to stage, but I think you could do it. I think the audience might not get through it. Yeah, there might be a lot yeah. of walkouts. Yeah, uh, at one point, finally, because uh, the Willem Dafoe character has been taking notes. That's what he does. He keeps a logbook, and he of course locks it up like everything else, and won't let anybody see it. There's a big storm that comes through, and everything gets flooded, and. Pattinson's character, Winslow, manages to get a hold of the book, and he starts flipping through pages. Did this thought go through your head that every page just said, all work and no play yes. makes Tom a dull boy? That's exactly what I thought. I was thinking yeah. that there's it was either gibberish, or it would be some... I was thinking it was going to be eldritch runes, or some such. Yeah. But no, it, just, it turns out what Pattinson's upset about, or at least what he thinks he's upset about, right. is he's got bad reports in there. Yep. Well, and I think that that's probably what it 
does say, and yeah. the reason I think that is because it keeps lending credence to the idea that he's way more over the edge than we think he is, because what's described is stuff we don't see. He's like, oh, he he drank through his and, and slept through his shift again. He was late. And of course, every time we see him, he's on time and doing all these chores that are horrendously difficult for no particular reason. And he's being, you know, laid into by Defoe's character, you know, being the, the pit boss or the, you know, the father figure, or whatever. And he's just going along. Yeah. So what's written doesn't match with what we see. But again, as we'll see also in this, we don't know who's madder. <laughs> yeah, and Defoe doesn't deny any of what's written in there. He doesn't say, what are you talking about? That's not what it says. He's like, yeah, that's right. You're doing a terrible job. But he also and says things. There's one point where Pattinson is trying to get off the... He's like, they missed their, their date. There's apparently there's supposed to be a day when the guys show up that they will relieve him and the get, bring more food. The weather is too bad. No one can get in. The tiny ship was tossed. Yep. And... <laughs> If not for the courage of the furious clue, crew, the minnow, <laughs> they would, would have be been lost. lost. Yes, but he goes and takes the dory. They have one dory. It is, and it does not speak whale. And <laughs> he's trying to get off the island. And Defoe's character shows up with an axe and takes the axe to it. So basically, you're not going anywhere. And then later on, Defoe's like, "Well, you're the one who took the axe to the boat, not me." And you're yeah, like, "Wait, what?" At this point, we're like, "Okay, now we really don't know what's actually happening." No. Of course, there's also the physical aspect, because at this point they've gone through all their rations of actual alcohol, and they're drinking what I believe is fuel oil cut with honey. It was turpentine. It was turpentine. Which makes it that much better. Ah, <laughs> <Yuck>. Goodbye, eyesight. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of that whole, we don't know what's going on, I have a couple talking points we got to get to, because I just noticed the clock. Do you think Tom, meaning Tom Wake, yeah. Defoe's character... Is gaslighting Winslow? I don't think so. I think he may be wrong about stuff. He may have. He may also be delusional or hallucinating. I don't mm. think he's doing it on purpose. Okay. Do you? I don't know. Ugh. I can't tell if it's a control tactic or not because we see him from the beginning, basically hazing Pattinson's character. Winslow very much trying to establish dominance. Very much so. So I don't. No. And also, I wonder if there isn't some sort of clause where, with, well, if we don't pay him, you get his pay too or something. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. So it's not the work itself, which is demanding and stupid. What finally drives Winslow mad, do you think? Apart from the fact that he's drinking turpentine? Uh <laughs> I think it's a suppressed guilt. I think he, the fact that he, in effect, killed a man ran off, took his name, and it's and that that in itself is kind of self-flagellating. I'm gonna use the name of the guy whose death I am responsible for through inaction. Mm-hmm. So every day I'll be reminded of him. Hmm. I think yeah. yeah, I think he's torturing himself. I think he hates himself and feels terribly guilty and uh Maybe, you, maybe you're right. Maybe he, t- he saw this job as a kind of penance, and maybe that's why he thinks, at least, he's doing all this awful backbreaking work. Yeah. There's one moment near the end of the film, Pattinson breaks the fourth wall. Mm. Does it work? It kind of does, because that sort of em- emphasizes the madness as he's looking outside of the world. And it's just for a second, he just looks, at, looks right at the camera. Yeah. I'm not sure I think it does. Uh, I wasn't sure why it was there, and it did make me stop and take notice. And I couldn't figure out why he was looking. I would rather he was literally an inch off center. Like, didn't have to be much. But whenever you break the fourth wall, when you acknowledge the audience in some way, to me, unless you're doing it on purpose, usually in a comedic way, it doesn't tend to work. And I don't think that that particular shot adds anything to the film. That's my own. So X is yes. I say no. Fair enough. And then the last question, which is, you know, we're using for this entire series monochrome. Would this movie be better in color or would it even work in color? I don't think it would work in color. I, I, I think especially given that it's a 2019 film and the audience knows this, and their contemporary actors, seeing it in black and white makes it more otherworldly. It mm. makes it more stark, and it makes it much more 
sort of internally contained. I'm not exactly sure if I can explain no, that, that makes part. Sense. But I think that makes sense, especially with the square aspect ratio, yeah, which is yeah. which when it starts is off putting. You keep waiting for the curtains to go wider and they never do. But you yeah. get used to it without it within the first five, ten minutes. I would say that the only way you might make this work in color is if you used color that looked like the way they used to tint old black and white photographs. So it's literally a very, very thin. Washed out almost. Washed out. Very, very. That's the only way you could make it work in color. I'm not saying it would be better. The photography, again, is so gorgeous in this. The fact that it didn't win for cinematography is, I think, a crime. (laughs) Because of the standout things in this film, and there's a lot of standout things in this film. There's also a lot of things that don't stand out. Accents. I have to say that I think the photography is is stunning, and the fact that they as, when you told me about the infrared thing, man, that just that that they thought of that just says yeah. to me that there was a lot of incredible attention put. to detail. But we are uh, getting to that point. Unless you have one more point you have to get to. Yeah, I did want to talk about that whole idea of the Greek uh, imagery, the Greek mythology <laughs> stuff, the hammer, if you will. Yes. Not very subtle. That's kind of, well. This movie is not terribly subtle, although it is, um, con- well, confusing. But it's uh, some of it is. I have no. I, I am wrong. I'm going to take that back. Some of it is very subtle because th- it's fairly subtle as to what's actually happening and what isn't. Yeah. But they're the final fates of both of them. You know, where basically Defoe snaps and is screaming that the light is his and he's not going to let. Uh, that uh, other Tom see it. Batman. And and then Batman makes, literally, literally makes him his bitch. Because he he can't stand being called dog, and uh, Defoe has started calling him dog, and he puts him on a damn leash and tries to bury him alive. Pattinson puts Willem Defoe on a leash. Yes, sorry. Yes, I should have been more clear. And ultimately, you know, uh, he kills, he kills Defoe, and he ends up seeing the light. We don't know what he sees. He goes face... First off, I am not convinced that anyone can safely look directly into a lighthouse lamp. Well, the, Those they, things kinda, are... Well, they kind of suggest that because it looks right after he does that like he's burned his own eyes out. That, that's what I think would happen because those things are e- enormously high candle power. They yeah. have to be. They're supposed to be seen for like 20 miles. Well, they have the Fresnel lenses to help that out, but, you know. So I I suppose we could say that he is finally facing the truth. He's facing himself. It's kind of a mirror, right? That he's confronted with all the things he's done and the kind of person he is. He can't take it. And then Tom Stewart kills. Oh, no, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong does. He does fall. Well, it's very similar. I I want to say the parallels between this and Tormented, they're huge. Uh, Don't watch Tormented. I would say that that's my interpretation, that he's facing the truth of his life, what it's going to be, what it's been. He can't face it. He literally falls backward and onto the rocks. The The weird thing about the Prometheus bit is that I don't see him bringing light to anybody. That's the thing. Prometheus... His whole name was forethought. He was, he could see the future. Maybe that's it. He sees his future and it's black. He can't well, deal but he with also, it. He, but, was, he was taking fire from the gods to give yeah, it to humans. He's yeah. not trying to give this to anybody. Yeah. And, oh, please, please, when we say Prometheus, we do not mean the movie of the no, same name. No, we do not. <laughs> no, we're talking about Prometheus Chained, which is the final, one of the final images of the movie is Pattinson lying naked on the rocks. While seagulls are pecking open his his internal organs, I assume at least one is eating his liver, and he's still alive. It's a horrible image, and yeah. even the position he's in recalls some of the statues or the paintings of yep. Prometheus being tormented. And I swear, one of the seagulls—you had to listen closely for this. I had headphones on, so I could hear this. But when this is happening, one of the seagulls in the background goes, "Ha ha!" It, it does not. It does. It totally does. But. <laughs> We yes. are uh, we are out yeah. of time, so we yep. have to get to that point where we're not out of time. Yeah. Uh, in other words, the wrap up, the finish. So, Max. Yeah. <laughs> you said you first heard about this because of the Oscars. Yeah, I had never seen it before, though. Not before the show. Yes. Because if you had seen it before the show, would you have recommended it for the show? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. 
I don't know. I'm not sure. Probably not, just because, again, while this thing is visually amazing, it is not fun to watch. No. It is a lot of work. And but, that being said, yeah. what do you think of it as a film? I think it's really well made. I think it's a very impressive piece of work. It's kind of experimental. It's nice to see, because it's not what you usually run into. Yeah. It's someone's taking a chance. I admire that. I don't enjoy it. But if you're a completist, I would recommend it just for looking at what people can do with, with modern cinema. I think it's a good example of that. What about you? You, would, you said you hadn't even heard of it. Nope, never heard of it. I mean, it was Art House. It has Art House written all over it. If it wasn't put, it actually was put up by what, A24 or whatever that company yeah. is that yeah. you only see in Art Houses, basically. Yeah. I knew nothing about this. I went in totally cold. I did not know what to expect. I don't think that changed. <laughs> incredibly powerful performances i wish the accents had been different if the accents had been not what they were i don't know if i would not say this film wasn't perfect boy try and try and diagram that anyway, sentence, yeah that was a tricky you? one <laughs> and i say perfect because it really achieves everything it's trying to do even if those, some of those things are to be vague because madness is not a black and white thing as much as this film is. Black, madness is a one of the whole points of madness is you can't put it in a sentence. You can't put it in a bottle. You can't say that it was caused definitively by X and nothing else. It's yeah. and that's what the the film is ostensibly about madness and guilt, I think. I think the whole film is a big symbol for guilt. And the the performances are excellent. The cinematography is incredibly powerful. The fact that they shot it with real weather did not surprise me <laughs> yeah. at all. It's an interesting story. It kept my attention. I think it was well-paced. It's not long, no. but it's very dense. <laughs> yeah. Would I watch it again? Give me a few years. Yeah, I wouldn't watch it again for a while, but... Uh... Well, it's like Clockwork Orange. Do oh, I think boy. that it was an incredibly well-made film? Yes, I saw it once in the 80s. Have I ever seen it again? No, I don't yeah. need to. But it, like Max said, it does show a willingness to experiment, to go out on a limb. To I mean, the square format alone is enough to make people... So I'm sure people did get up and leave. It's like, I can't watch a square film. What's wrong? <laughs> Why can't you use the screen? And it's like, it helps you focus. I got to say that. It really focuses your attention yeah. where the director wants it. But... Yep. I think it's a an astounding film. It's powerful, well acted, amazing to look at. It is not easy, but I think it's it's like a ninety eight out of a hundred. And that's not me saying I like it that much, but I think it really the director and writer achieved so much of what they were trying to go for, and I think that's that's important. And I think a lot of that's due to the acting too. This could have been just miserable. And well, just two pain, people. painful to watch. You have to have two really good people. Yeah. And you can, it's like you can't, there's no moment where you can just sort of slide and, you know, I'll let, let him take this scene. No, yeah. you can't do that because there's nobody else. Yeah. And half the scene is black anyway because of the way the shot. It's like there's, there's no detail there. It's just this big shadow and an area of light you're standing in and that's it. It's pretty, yeah, pretty much. So, but uh, we have a poll question if Me you too. would uh, go over that again. I will reiterate, yes. As suggested by Ned, what children's movie should under no circumstances be shown to children? And you can answer this poll question. You can email us at us at maxmikemovies.com. You can go to our website, maxmikemovies.com, and leave a comment. Or you can find us on one social media, Facebook, <laughs> and yeah. uh, we'll put it up there. You can answer us there. And, of course, you can listen to us on the podcast app of your choice and the podcast apps we don't even know carry us. And hey, if you want us to go onto one of those, what is it, Mammoth, Mastodon, yeah, uh, the uh, Woolly Mammoth, Pterodactyl, I don't know. Let us know. Is there some? What is the the what is your Twitter replacement? Do you have yeah, one? where do you hang out? Yeah. We'll hang out there too, and annoy where? you from yet another aspect and another. Where angle do the kids and, uh, hang out these days? Down at the malt shop. <laughs> yeah, they're having a sock hop. Having a phosphate. <laughs> <laughs> but. We are still in the midst of monochrome madness, so we are. what are we going to watch next week, Mike? 
I think we're going to go a little bit lighter because oh, this goodness. was a pretty heavy film. So we're yes. not going to go with anything that's, you know, the whole black and white thing is, is part of the series. But we're going to do a little more shades of gray here. Um, we're just going to get a touch lighter. That's what I think. A, a touch lighter. Oh, God, we're going to watch Fifty Shades of Gray, aren't we? Please say no. Max, that film was shot in color. Oh, thank God. No. We're just going to have a touch of, just a little touch oh, of dear. evil. Just a touch <laughs> of evil. A Show touch. us on the doll where the evil touched you. <laughs> <laughs> is that a doll of of orson welles so it's a very yes. large doll yes next week oh, uh, audience members take out your orson welles doll and touch its evil <laughs> with us won't you yes touch it with your charlton heston doll this has been a co-production of the voice of max and the movie wrench.